0: Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship.
1: Rose? Well, we're going,
0: we don't need
1: roads. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. No, I
0: am your father.
1: You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. How are you doing today, Phil? I'm very well. Are you good? I'm doing excellent. Thank you for asking. I'm excited about tonight's show. It should be a good one. Yeah, I think we've got some, some fun yeah. stuff for people. And some new stuff. So stick around, listeners. Don't, don't, uh, don't switch channels. So You can press pause if you need the toilet, though. That's true. That's true. We, we're okay <laughs> with that. So before we get into our endings tonight, we do want to talk about a couple of exciting new changes to the show as well. You know, it's nine episodes in, so it's time for a format change, right, Phil? Exactly. Can you believe
0: it's nine episodes? It's crazy, isn't it? It's really good. And thank you to everybody who's been listening since episode
1: one. We really appreciate everyone who listens and leaves us feedback and has been, you know, helping get the show off the ground. So thank you to everybody. You're all beautiful. So with this episode, what we're doing is we're actually going to do away with our uh, news and views, so to speak, section at the end of the podcast podcast and there's a good reason for that there's a lot of other more timely uh, more up-to-date resources for for film news including i'd like to point out the number one site for film news liveforfilms.com which is run by one phil edwards
0: oh that's that's
1: that's me Thank you very much. You're welcome. If you want to stay up to date with the most current film news, I highly recommend checking out liveforfilms.com. You're not wrong. You're not wrong, Mike. (laughs) I'm usually not, but thank you for saying so. (laughs) Uh, Also want to recommend uh, a friend of the show has his own podcast, our friend Travis and his co-hosts over at a podcast called Debate Club, which is a lot of fun, where they take it's three or four guys. They take sort of the current pop culture news, the big topics of the day, and sort of debate the merits, good and bad, of, of each of those. It's a lot of fun. We really enjoy it. and Yeah, worth a listen. Yeah, and Travis and his friends have been very supportive of our show, so we wanted to give them a little shout out, and they can sort of fill in that gap for what we're not going to be doing anymore. But wait, you ask, does that mean the podcast is only going to be half as long now?
0: No! No!
1: Fear not, dear listeners. We have exciting new content to take its place. Starting with this episode, we are very excited to embark on what we are calling 100 Years of Films in 100 Episodes. That's right. Phil and I are going to tackle 100 Years of Films from 1917 to 2017, although the 2017 episode will probably not be for a while still. Uh, But um, (laughs) we are going to, each episode, we're going to break down our top 10 favorite films from a particular year of Hollywood history. So we're really excited about this. We think it's going to be a lot of fun. Get a chance to talk about some, some films we wouldn't normally get to talk about. And yeah, hopefully... very exciting. And learn
0: about lots of films that we've probably forgotten about or have, hadn't never seen.
1: Yeah, I think that we'll probably be able to educate each other a little bit, too. I'm sure we'll have some films in our, in our top tens that uh, the other one of us isn't familiar with or yeah. hasn't seen yet, you know, or, or has a difference of opinion on. Yeah, and it should also bring back some great memories uh, for, from
0: films and years that we've forgotten about and want to want to reminisce about.
1: Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to tackle one year every week for basically the next 2 years with the episodes and hopefully you all will enjoy it as much as we've had fun putting it together so far. It's it's just in putting together this first week's list. I know Phil and I have both had a blast.
0: Yeah, very, well, do you want to let them know what uh, year we'll be doing so they can they can start thinking about it while they listen to our endings.
1: That's probably a good idea, yeah. So this week, we're going to tackle 1986. And bam, the, reason, bam, bam. Uh, <laughs> the reason we picked that year is because it is the 30th anniversary of Aliens, and April 26th is Aliens Day, which is sort of a internet-wide celebration of the 30th anniversary of Aliens. Yeah. And so we thought that would be this would be a good year for us to tackle this week. So you can think about that while you're listening to our endings. See if you can think of what movies are in your top 10 and see how that compares to our lists. I'm looking forward to hearing your list. Likewise, I'm very much looking forward to hearing yours and see uh what we agree on, what we disagree on. It should yeah, be interesting. Yeah. Because
0: uh listeners, uh, just in case you didn't know, uh neither Mike nor myself know the other persons after the ending and also we don't know what we've picked for the other lists. So it's uh, it's gonna be as surprising for us as it is for you.
1: Exactly. And actually that reminds me, Phil, you want to also mention a couple of other things about our format for newer listeners, right?
0: Yes, yeah, so basically we both Pick a couple of films, and then we decide what happens after the ending of when the film finishes. We'll run through what happens in the film, so there will be some spoilers for the films we're covering, but then we'll be talking about what happens the day after, the immediate aftermath, and then in the long term, and that's how it works.
1: Yep, pretty simple. We don't do films that have sequels, we don't do films based on true stories, other than that. Phil and I just go crazy and have fun and see where the world of our favorite movies takes us. Mm -hmm. And there's been some good ones so far, and there's been some uh, lovely feedback from the listeners, which is all very good. Yes, we appreciate that. Well, without any further ado then, Phil, why don't we get started? Let's crack on. It's going to be good. So, Phil, without any further ado then, let's get into our films and our endings. Why don't you tell the listeners what films we're talking about today? I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> we
0: will we will be doing Quentin Tarantino's Pub Fiction, and it's the first Tarantino movie that we've covered. Uh, but before that, we will be doing the cult sci-fi
1: classic, The Last Starfighter. Do you want to take that away, Mike? I would love to. Here we go. All right, The Last Starfighter, 1984, directed by Nick Castle. And it stars well, mostly stars Lance Guest. It also stars Dan O'Herlihy yeah. and Robert Preston, as well as Catherine Mary Stewart. Those are pretty much the most notable names in the film.
0: And Dan O'Herlihy, of course, was the uh, the old man from RoboCop. Right, exactly. Which uh, I, when I first
1: learned that, I was I was flabbergasted. Yeah, he's fantastic as Greg too, isn't he? Always, oh, yeah, great character. Yeah, he's one of the best parts of the film, as far as I'm concerned. So here's the story: Alex Rogan is a teenager living in a trailer park where he basically helps run the place. His only refuge from fixing old ladies' air conditioners is an arcade game on the trailer park's property called Starfighter. He becomes an expert at it, and one night he breaks the high score, with the entirety of the park's residents watching and cheering him on. Honestly, they probably couldn't have been more excited if he cured cancer. I mean, this is the the (laughs) most excited I've ever seen people to watch a video game.
0: Yeah. Well, there's not much else going on in (laughs) trailer park, is there? There really
1: isn't. Shortly after this, a mysterious stranger picks Alex up in his car and tells him he's the creator of the game. The car then launches into space and takes Alex to the frontier, which is a defense force against Zur and the Kodan Armada, an invading alien force. Not coincidentally, the same alien invading force that was in the video game. Meanwhile, Alex is replaced on Earth by a beta unit that mimics him mostly perfectly, although with a a kind of sort of naivete that gets him in trouble fairly often, especially with Alex's girlfriend. (laughs) Back in space, Alex meets Grig, his navigator. And while they're away from the frontier, the Kodan Armada basically destroys the frontier in a sneak attack, leaving Alex as the last starfighter, hence the name (sighs) of the film. Oh,
0: yeah, I understand (laughs) it now. Uh, Subtle titles. Yeah,
1: clever. Clever those guys. <laughs> Meanwhile, back on Earth, the Beta Unit sacrifices himself by crashing his truck into an alien assassin spaceship.
0: I did love, I did love the alien assassin uh, makeup, the face, the uh, with the eyes and everything. I always liked that. Yeah, because, uh, yeah,
1: very cool looking, very kind of creepy. Yeah, good special alien. effect, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So the Beta Unit crashes into the alien assassin spaceship to prevent him from revealing that Alex is alive to the Kodan Armada. Alex decides reluctantly at first to stay and help, and using a sneak attack and a special weapon called the Death Blossom, Alex and Grig destroy the invaders and save the day, although Xur, who's sort of the leader of the Kodan Armada, escapes. During the celebration, the president tells Alex that they need him to train people because there's no more starfighters left. Mm -hmm. And we learn that Centauri, who is the guy that took him up into space in the first place, is still alive. I guess I should have mentioned that he died (laughs) earlier on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Rewind a little bit. Insert. Centauri dies and then come back to us Yeah. Alex returns to Earth to reveal to his mom and the residents of the trailer park what he's been doing and he convinces Maggie to come to the planet Rylos where he's going to be stationed we assume with him so he can train a new generation of starfighters and that's where the film ends does that about wrap it up Phil you think that covers it nicely that's, that covers uh, most of it pretty well yeah uh, All right. greetings
0: starfighter right. that's what it does at the start of the game doesn't it yes yeah. yes and there's a
1: lot of uh, spaceship battles in there but those are hard to describe and make sound interesting so
0: but it was one of the first films to do most of the special effects on computer. So we've got that to blame for all the CGI, if you want to blame it. But it, they use the Cray XMP, which I think might have been the computers that were used in
1: sneakers. Oh, that's when right. You see, the, you see them in Cosmos HQ. You know what's interesting to me about that is when I was watching it again just the other night, I hadn't seen it in probably 20 years. And I was yeah. surprised that all of the spaceship stuff was computer-generated, because when you talk about special effects and, and the CGI stuff comes up, Last Starfighter doesn't enter the conversation as much as a lot of other films, even though it's heavily, heavily computer-generated. Well, yeah, it's, it's all, I think all the space scenes, aren't they? Yeah, and all including them. The, uh, the, the flying car thing that uh, right.
0: Centauri got, that's all... CGI but you're
1: right yeah it never really comes up no you, you hear a lot more about you know well obviously like Terminator 2 taking it to the next level but you hear about like uh, young Sherlock Holmes and you hear about yeah. Tron but Last Starfighter doesn't really come up very much even though it's it's something like a half an hour's worth of footage that was all computer generated and some of it I mean a lot of it looks like a video game but unintentionally unfortunately but yeah, but yeah. It's, it's some of it's pretty good actually you know it works in the film I think yeah well I, I loved I love the main ship the Starfighter itself I always thought that was a great design yeah I, I do too uh, except one of the things i thought was funny was at the end of the ship at the end of the film when greg and and alex disembark from this film and it's like 30 stories tall oh yeah yeah and they're yeah. like sorry only room for one i'm like room for one you could take you know half a manhattan into that ship it's gigantic <laughs> yeah. you, know, you see them in the cockpit together they look it looks a lot smaller you know yeah
0: yeah the bad guy i always felt uh could have been a, a little bit better but yeah uh, i was interested to find out that robin williams was offered the role but he turned it down really i didn't know that yeah that, that could have to
1: uh, Given the film a whole different feel. Yeah, for sure. Well, here's some interesting trivia that I noticed. This is what I like to call credits watch trivia where I I watch the credits and find interesting things. So two of the people that were in the film in the credits, one of them was credited as Lewis's friend and that's Alex's younger brother, who I don't think I oh, even yeah, mentioned yeah. in my synopsis, but he has a younger yeah. brother in the film. Lewis's friend is credited as Will Wheaton.
0: Oh, gosh, yeah.
1: But he was apparently cut out of the film. <laughs> and then the other uh, interesting name I saw pop up was uh, The Hitchhiker, was played by Mark Alemo, which if you are a Star Trek Deep Space Nine fan like I am, you might recognize that name as the actor who also played Gul throughout the run of the entire show.
0: Oh, my God, yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. So he played The Hitchhiker. Whoever that was, wow. I don't remember seeing him, but apparently he, oh. he was in it. He's credited as the Hitchhiker, and uh, I, I always loved him on Deep Space Nine, so I thought it was cool yeah. to see his name pop up in the credits as well. Deep Space Nine, I love that. That was a great uh, Star Trek show. Absolutely. It's probably my, yeah. probably my favorite, actually. But
0: Yeah, I think it just had the ongoing story arc as well when that kicked yep, in. Yep. It made a, made a big difference. Great stuff. All right, so, Phil, why don't you tell
1: us what you have for the day after?
0: Well, the day after, we've got Alex heads back to uh, the Star League command with Maggie, and he basically is going to spend the day showing around. She's going to be being blown away by seeing all these aliens and things. So it's going to be a lot for her to get used to. Uh, and then they'll be putting in uh, putting in plans to rebuild the League, uh, getting the ships in, finding ways of bringing in new pilots, what have you, things like that. Uh, and Alex, with Alex's help, they'll be able to pinpoint better places to put the arcade machine if they're, if they're still going to go with that way of
1: recruiting on Earth.
0: And also, Lewis is going to keep practicing because he wants to be like his big brother. Makes sense, makes sense. So that's, that's what I've got for the day after. What about you?
1: Uh, mostly the same thing, actually. Uh, but I, I know we're going to diverge as we go further, but I, I'm very similar. Alex and Maggie return to Rylos, where Alex is hailed as a hero. Basically, the next day, they take a tour of the city. They're shown to their quarters, which is a huge suite inside the presidential compound because, you know, he's, he's this hero. they're given the day to recover from the whirlwind of events but Grig warns them that the next day they're going to have to start training Meanwhile, Lewis starts playing the Starfighter video game 24-7. Centauri is given a huge reward for finding Alex, and he's finally achieved his dream of becoming filthy rich, so he basically retires (laughs) with all his money. And we also find out that the beta unit survived the explosion and is slowly regenerating himself.
0: Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, because I did like the beta unit. He was was a good good character.
1: I thought so, and you know what's interesting is I thought that Lance Guest, who's a pretty solid actor in the film, but I thought his best parts were as the beta unit. I thought he had much more of a flair for comedy than he did for... For the drama so that was kind of interesting
0: well reading up on the film as well apparently the scenes they, had, they only had a few scenes of the beta unit in but test audiences love that so they shot more once they'd done all the main main filming right right but Lance guest had to wear a wig <laughs> for many of it because he'd, he'd cut his hair since but, right uh, so if you're watching it and you go and it's a bit weird that's uh, that's why he's wearing but it
1: almost film. makes sense with the character because he's like a copy so if he has bad yeah. hair it, it sort of works yeah it you doesn't know? matter as much does it yeah right exactly All right, how about your immediate aftermath?
0: Okay, the immediate aftermath. I've got the Star League is on the way to recovering, and more recruits are brought in from all over the galaxy. So they're going to be meeting meeting new races. They're going to be finding new people. And it's going to be like a breathtaking adventure. They're going to be training... It's going to be crazy, but it's going to be lots of fun. I've got Alex and Maggie. They, they grow closer and closer. They still often pop back to Earth because they can. They've got the ability. Alex and Greg are huge heroes, and they're treated with awe by the new recruits, but they just get down to it, and they they do the training well, and they, uh, they're just bringing everybody together. Uh, Lewis carries on training on the uh, on the arcade machine, and Centauri, he's just uh, doing wheeling and dealing and doing all those, all those kind of things, which uh, is... What he seemed to do anyway. He just, I think he's always going to, even if he, he always wanted to be filthy rich, but I think even if he does make the money, he's still going to be wanting to have his be involved in certain ways. Sure. Sure.
1: What about you? All right. Well, uh, Alex starts his training academy over the next few months. He and Grig start training a whole new generation of starfighters and navigators. Much like you said, Mm -hmm. Alex spends every day teaching these skills that the starfighters need to defend the frontier. Unfortunately, Maggie feels neglected and starts to resent being dragged to another planet. She can't even get Earth television shows to watch, and it turns out that Rylos doesn't even have television. So she starts the world's first television studios and begins producing entertainment television for a whole new world of people. Oh, well, that's, that's good. I like yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. Back at home, Lewis has become an expert at the Starfighter video game, and he started teaching the other residents of the trailer park how to play. Meanwhile... The beta unit has healed himself completely, and he's taken Alex's place at the trailer park, fixing all the things that need fixing, which comes pretty easily to him because, you know, he's advanced technology and he's from outer space, so he can pretty much fix stuff yeah, without any, you know, without any problems. So that's where we go for now. How about your long term?
0: Well, long term, I've got Alex and Maggie. They end up marrying, and it's a, it's a huge celebration on Rylos and also on Earth when they return. They've just grown so close uh, Maggie ends up. She ends up training uh, not as a starfighter, but she's uh, back at the base as one of the uh, one of the main controllers. Where, for when they go out flying on the mission, she coordinates. it. She has a flair for um, mission control and planning and strategy. Uh, they just they carry on using the arcade machines. They don't. Uh, Alex keeps saying we should t- we should tell the, the uh, different governments on Earth, you know, to say we're here, we're helping them. But they decide it's uh, taken to the council and it's decided not to uh, let mankind know because humanity would probably mess it up if they did you know, try and uh, get control of it. And they just, the the community, even though Alex has done so much help, they uh, as a whole, they don't quite trust humanity. And Alex wants to argue, but he can sort of see the point. Lewis, he keeps working hard. And while he's, uh, he's never good enough to be a pilot, he ends up becoming a navigator like Greg and flies many successful missions. With Alex's help, the Star League protects the Federation of Planets and they grow bigger and bigger, but also making sure... That uh, there's no corruption and things like that. They they are a force for good and they help many invasions. Some of which could have affected Earth. For example, they they hold killer clowns, Decepticons, <laughs> Cloverfield monsters, Pod people, Martians, Mimics, and many more. <laughs> all without Earth knowing. <laughs> They save us from uh, all
1: these things that we've seen in many movies. Very nice. (laughs) What about your long term? All right. Well, so in my long term, over the next couple of years, Alex and Greg build up a Starfighter army that patrols the universe and keeps peace on many worlds. Meanwhile, back on Earth, most of the trailer park residents have lost interest in the video game. But Maggie's grandmother, Granny... She has become extremely skilled, so she joins the Star Force and becomes one of their top pilots, oh. eventually taking on the nickname Maverick, which she earns due to her refusal to bow down to authority and her proclivity for doing flybys of the command tower. <laughs> Meanwhile, when Lewis turns 18, he's recruited into the Starfighter Corps, and he and uh, Alex go on to become the leaders of the Star Force. When Zur inevitably returns to try and take over the universe, the two of them lead the Star Force to destroy him and basically defeat his entire armada in a matter of minutes. It's, it's actually kind of a slaughter. <laughs> uh, back on Earth, the beta unit realizes that his technological skills are the best on Earth, so he goes on to create the iPod a full 10 years before Steve Jobs does, and becomes a world-famous billionaire and tech icon.
0: Oh, good. good. I, liked, I liked the BT unit going on and doing his own thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, I liked him. Yeah, yeah. Now, Maggie and Alex have broken up. Uh, Maggie's become a multimedia mogul on Rylos, and she's gone through a slew of Rylosian trophy husbands and just kind of living up this, this hedonistic lifestyle, but she creates the entirety of the content that fuels Rylos's entertainment. So among the hit shows she creates are The Real Housewives of Rylos, RYPD Blue, CSI Rylos, Everybody Loves Rylos, and her biggest hit, The Walking Co-Dead. So Maggie is doing all right for herself. She doesn't have a very fulfilling personal life, but she's you know a big multimillionaire on Rylos creating all this entertainment television. Oh, very good. Uh, eventually, Alex retires from starfighting and lets Lewis take over as the leader of the Star Force. Alex becomes president of Rylos, and he leads the universe into a new golden age of peace and prosperity. And the end. Ah, oh, just the way it should be. Yeah, exactly. So happy endings, yeah. mostly, for everyone.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it was. I think yeah, both our endings were in... Uh... In the same feel as the film. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think so. I think so, yeah.
0: definitely. It's a fun film. Because you, you, could, you could go quite dark, but it was, it's a fun film. Right,
1: it's definitely, you know, it's a science fiction film that, you know, was not afraid to have some fun. I mean, it, it takes itself seriously enough, but it also doesn't take itself too seriously. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's partially why it has such a devoted fan following all these years later. People really do love this film. And I think the reason for that is because it's a pretty unique movie, you know. There's not a lot of other films from that time period that really sort of... Kind of bridge the gap of the tone of serious and comedic as well as this one does. Yeah, it's a good point, and it's um, I am
0: surprised. There's always been talk; it keeps cropping up every couple of years or so of either a, a remake or a sequel, right? Uh, but, but I think the uh, the filmmakers don't don't want to do a remake. They don't want to see one, but I'd, I'd love to see, actually see a proper sequel made.
1: That would be very cool, especially with today's special effects.
0: Yeah, because I think you could do it and just carry it on from where we've been. Oh, absolutely. And it'd just be really yeah, good. I mean, it's,
1: it's definitely one of those movies where I think coming back to it 25 years later or so isn't going to necessarily hurt it because the, the stars haven't gone on to become big famous. So you could sort of pick up with, you know, 25 years later, here's what's going on in the frontier and it could be a really cool kind of fun adventure. I really hope we do see it at some point. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to see what they can do with it. Because I
0: did like the whole thing. Because the screenwriter uh, Jonathan Butel, I think you pronounce mm-hmm. it, he was saying he got the idea because he saw a kid playing an arcade game in an arcade, and uh, he was reading a book, the Once and Future King, all about King Arthur, and it was the two combined which sort of gave him the idea. The, the video game and the film is like the Sword in the Stone, right, right, taking on to greatness. And you could do you could do the same thing again. It could be it could be like one of those uh, re- reboot sequels where it's the same, carrying on, but it's but it's just. Telling the same kind of story, but with a different character.
1: Exactly. And, you know, if if you want to read a sort of unofficial sequel to it, I highly recommend Ernest Klein's new book, Armada. He is the author of Ready Player One. Yeah. So Armada posits the theory that all of the entertainment and video games that feature humans fighting aliens from the past 30 years or so, including The Last Starfighter, were seeded by the U.S. government to train humans for the inevitable alien invasion that's coming. Okay, yeah,
0: because I like I like Ready Player One. I've not read Armada. I keep meaning to. Armada is really good, yeah.
1: and it does definitely have a very Last Starfighter vibe to it. I mean, so, sounds a bit like Ender's Game as well. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely yeah. got some influences there as well. Uh, but it's obviously a lot more kind of pop culture yeah. filled, much like Ready Player One is. But it, it definitely, if you like the Last Starfighter, I would definitely read Armada. I think you'll see their their spiritual brethren, if you will. Oh, brilliant! To have to pick that up, have a read of that. Yeah, definitely. All right, good. Well, that's the last starfighter anything else you want to say about it before we move on to pulp fiction phil
0: uh, just a couple of other little tidbits of fact sure it was sh- shot in 40 days mm-hmm. so quite a nice little turnaround and um, just i find it quite a little bit interesting uh, when you see the computer screens on rylos and on the, the various spacecraft the alien script that you see is basically it's it's hebrew with some variations really and i just like it when they, they use stuff like that
1: i did not catch that yeah huh yeah Interesting. Yeah. All right. Great. Well, there you go. So uh, if you have thoughts on how you think your endings for The Last Starfighter would be, leave us a message on Facebook or Twitter. We'll share the details on that at the end of the episode. And moving on, then let's jump into Pulp Fiction. Phil, why don't you take us through – I don't know how you're going to do this, but I am dying to find out. Okay. Take us through the events of Pulp Fiction.
0: Okay. Well, Pulp Fiction, it's a little film from 1994 directed by a still relatively unknown director – Quentin Tarantino you might have
1: heard of him. Yeah, I think he's made a film or two since then.
0: It's got a few people in there you might have seen but you know it's it's one of the small films. Right. Okay. Right. You know, every, everybody knows pulp fiction. You know that you know the gist but let's let's bit of a rundown. We begin with Pumpkin and Honey Bunny sat in a diner and they're about to to rob it. And then we cut to Jules Winfield and Vincent Vega, a couple of hitmen who are off to get a briefcase back for their boss Marcellus Wallace. Vincent mentions he has to take Mia, Marcellus' wife, out later that week. They end up getting the case and eating a burger with the people who had the case. We then see them wearing different clothes in Marcellus' bar where boxer Butch Coolidge is doing a deal where he will take a dive for a substantial amount of money. And then we have we see Vincent buying some heroin from his dealer, Lance. and This is just before he takes Mia Wallace out to a 1950s-style diner where they drink a $5 shake and have a bit of a boogie. Then back at Mia's house, she finds the heroin and... Vincent's coat and snorts some thinking gets cocaine and things do not go well for her. Hmm. Uh, Vincent takes it to Lances, who was eating some cereal before he called, and gives her an adrenaline shot to the heart. Boom, she's back. So then we cut to Butch, who has a flashback to when he was a child, and Captain Coons is delivering a watch that had been Butch's dad, and which Captain Coons...
1: <laughs> he, he had a watch. <laughs>
0: He'd been keeping it in a very uncomfortable place. There you go.
1: But <laughs> the be- like the back of a Volkswagen? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a little malrats oh, humor for people. I love a bit there. of Molrats, yeah. You <laughs> might there. not have caught that. Yeah.
0: No. Oh we'll have to do malrats. Oh no he's doing a sequel to that. Yeah, thing, we
1: can it? do our episode before he does.
0: Yeah. Take that, Kevin Smith. That's right. Okay, uh, Butch ends up double-crossing Marcellus by winning the f- winning the match, and he dashes back to his motel and his girlfriend, Fabian, and turns out she forgot the gold watch, which we found out was so important to him. Uh, he's obviously angry, so he heads back to his apartment and gets the watch while he's there. He finds the watch, makes himself a Pop-Tart, and finds a gun. Realising that there's somebody there, he picks up the gun, he hears the toilet flush, and there's Vincent Vega, John Travolta, who's been reading the book. He looks a bit surprised as Butch shoots him dead. So then Butch has made a clean getaway, but as he's heading back to Fabian, he bumps into Marcellus, who chases him down to a pawn shop where things go a little bit weird. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Maynard and Zed, they, they work in the pawn uh, the shop. They take Marcellus. They tie them, Marcellus and Butch up downstairs. They bring out the gimp who watches over Butch while they take Marcellus into the next room to do unspeakable things to him. Butch ends up breaking out, trades up his weaponry in an almost video game kind of style, Gets a samurai sword and rescues Marcellus. Marcellus says they're even and Butch leaves LA. We then head back in time a bit. We're back with Vincent and Jules and the case. There was a guy hiding in the bathroom that they hadn't realised was there. He pops out, starts shooting at them, but misses with every single bullet. Jules thinks it's a miracle and starts to think about, you know, reconsider what he's been doing with his life. They leave with uh, Marvin, who was sort of like an informant sidekick. But Vincent accidentally shoots Marvin when they go over a bump in the car. Obviously, this covers the car with brain matter and blood. So they go to Jimmy's house for some damn fine coffee and hide the car and call Winston Wolfe. He gets there in 10 and sorts everything out. Uh, So Jules and Vincent go to the diner where where Pumpkin and Honey Bunny are there and we're back to the beginning of the film. Jules plans to retire and wander the earth like Kung Fu. Vincent goes to the loo just as Pumpkin and Honey Bunny do their thing and hold up the diner. Jules talks to them, convinces them to let them go, and they leave with the briefcase and the wallet. Um it's the end of the film.
1: There you go. Nicely done. That's very Yeah. Very impressive, Phil. I'm impressed. Oh, thank you. It's a complicated
0: one to do. It's enjoyable to watch, but when you try and with all the time jumps and everything. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well yeah. and to celebrate those time jumps, we're gonna do our after the endings out of order. Yes. Quentin Tarantino style, right? Yes. So we're gonna start our endings for Pulp Fiction in the middle, just like Quentin Tarantino would, with the immediate mm-hmm. aftermath, right, Phil? That works for me. Alright, so for my immediate aftermath, I have that Butch and Fabienne settle in their new lives. Oh by the way, I should mention since Quentin Tarantino is one of the most meta filmmakers out there, I may have upped the meta quotient into the overdrive tonight, just so you know. I
0: think, I think there could be some meta for me as well. Okay, good.
1: So Butch and Fabienne settle into their new lives. Butch proposes, and she says yes, and they get married. He takes the money that he won from the rigged fight and decides that he really has no real career options. He can't box anymore because his reputation is basically tainted. So he decides to enroll in college. Okay. Eventually. He drifts into psychology because he's seen some pretty messed up stuff like what went on with Marcellus Wallace and the gimp and all of that. So he drifts into re- psychology because he wants to help other people who are having trouble in their lives. I think I see where this is going. <laughs> I could be wrong. Yeah, we'll see. Meanwhile, Marcellus and Mia have reconnected and Mia convinces Marcellus to retire from his life of crime. Marcellus starts a fashion line called Pulp Fiction and they become very successful. Mm. Jules has decided to give up his life of crime. But then he hears about Vincent Vega getting killed by Butch. And even though Marcellus told Butch that they were clear, Jules sets out to kill Butch on his own for personal reasons as revenge for him killing Vincent. So that's where I leave my immediate aftermath for, for now. How about you, Phil? How's your immediate aftermath okay. go?
0: I like that. Immediate aftermath then. Okay, Marcellus feels it's the time in the pawn shop was a sign that his taking the briefcase back was the wrong thing to do. He'd made a deal and went back on it. And he was told at the time he made the deal that there would be repercussions And he fills the pawn Shop episode with some of the repercussions. Marcellus, he begins looking for help, and he keeps hearing a name of somebody who can help him, a certain John Constantine. (laughs) Ah, nice. Okay. Uh, Meanwhile, Mia, she's going to more and more auditions, and she begins to get more roles. With Butch, he ends up in New York and relaxes for the first time in a long time. He's still with Fabian. He's living the good life. He's got some money. He's got no worries at the minute, so he's uh, he's quite happy with that. Uh, Jules travels the world and tries not to be a bad man. He changes his identity quite a few times. Uh, One such time, he became a detective who helped a woman with amnesia. Uh Uh, He ran a shop in Harlem Uh and helped a cop who was wearing a sandwich board that said terrible things. Nice. Uh, But then he's uh, he's currently running the Dolphin Hotel, but he keeps getting reports that room 1408 is causing problems. (laughs) Very good. Honey Bunny, meanwhile, she gets shot in a robbery gone wrong, and Pumpkin gets out of the life of crime, and he ends up moving to Detroit and forming a band called 8 Mile Road with a guy called Spoon and a woman called Cookie. But he also ends up getting involved in the drug, in drugs and things and gets hooked on heroin. And uh, that's my immediate aftermath.
1: You got me on that one.
0: Uh, it's a film called Gridlocked. Uh, I did see film.
1: Okay, with with Tupac, yeah. right?
0: Yeah, that's the one, yeah. That's a good movie. Yeah, a very good movie, which I want to have on Blu-ray, but they haven't released yeah, it
1: yet. Yeah, uh, that's a little obscure, though, I'm going to say. <laughs> I know. Well, I, when I was writing it down as well, I had to look up the names. I right. couldn't remember the names, right. but I
0: just didn't want to say Tupac.
1: Sure, sure. I understand. All <laughs> but right. yeah, but yeah. Very nice. So that's that. Yeah, I like that, Phil. I like that. Very clever. Thank you very much.
0: Okay, then, uh, Mike, what about the, your long term?
1: All right, well, on his way to kill Butch, Jules gets into a car accident, and he wakes up in the hospital, and he's got multiple broken bones. And the doctors tell him that he's had an onset, a, a sudden onset, of brittle bone disease. Hmm. When he gets out of the hospital, he follows <laughs> Butch to Philadelphia, where he tries to kill him by derailing a train. But he finds out that Butch is unbreakable. <gasps> That sounds like a film. It does, doesn't it? What was the name of the film? (laughs) So he devotes himself to killing Butch, and he eventually succeeds by drowning him. But Butch's spirit is also unbreakable. (laughs) So he returns to his life without realizing that he's actually dead. He returns to his practice as a psychologist that he's become after graduating school with a degree where he takes on a new client, a young boy who sees dead people. Very good. I like that.
0: Oh, getting thank in a, Yeah, <laughs> thank
1: you. I know I got a little fast and loose because I know that Bruce Willis's character in Unbreakable wasn't a psychologist, but yeah, whatever.
0: I know, but it was a Shyamalan thing going on there with a couple of his films. Yeah, yeah, very nice. Yeah,
1: yeah, a little, little, wow, little uh, mixing it up there. All right, so Phil, how about your long term? Fill us in. Right.
0: Okay. I've got Mia Wallace. She ends up becoming a successful actress, and she stars in a film called Kill Bill. Very nice. But she ends up spending all his money. Breaks up with Fabienne and he ends up breaking his leg in a car crash and ends up working as a coach in a boxing gym, uh, but he still has the watch. Uh, Marcellus employs John Constantine to get him out of the deal. John does so, but says there'll be a price to pay. And uh, Marcellus ends up getting caught and convicted for murder, a murder which, ironically, he had nothing to do with. Honey Bunny and Spoon decide to quit drugs when Cookie overdoses. Jules, who's now called Russell Franklin, has managed to become a corporate executive. He's he has gone done a lot of night school, and hes he's managing okay. Uh, but he's uh, tasked to go head to a research lab out in the middle of
1: the ocean, and uh, he never returns. <laughs> something to do with sharks. Yeah. Yeah, as I said, I seem to recall that there was a tragic accident with some super yeah. sharks out in the middle of the deep blue sea. Yeah, yeah. I think the Punisher was there as well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. And meanwhile, the GIMP, he ends up running for president. <laughs> uh,
1: Sorry, I, I didn't even think to follow up with the GIMP. Yeah, I love well I just, <laughs> it, he,
0: yeah so the GIMP ends up running for president, and is successful. <laughs> uh, and he's got Winston oh, Wolf on speed dial because he has many messes which need cleaning up over time. Oh, that
1: that makes sense. I can see that.
0: Jimmy still <laughs> has the best damn coffee. Of, of course. So that's my long term. Very nice. So what about, let's uh, zip back, let's cut back and whatever, you know. The technical
1: term is back to the day after. Okay, well, the day after. Butch and Fabienne leave town. They relocate to Philadelphia and set themselves up with new identities. Jules goes home and spends the next few days in quiet contemplation, trying to decide what to do with his life. Marcellus Wallace returns home to Mia Wallace, and after the trauma they've both been through, they commit to rebuilding their relationship. Meanwhile, Pumpkin and Honey Bunny rush out of the restaurant after they, after they rob it, and as they're running out into the street, Honey Bunny is hit by a bus. Now, in a weird turn of events, we find out it's the same bus driver who ran over Walter Sobchek back in episode three of The Big Lebowski. What a swine. And it turns out that bus driver is Rusty Nail, the former David Mann from Duel and Joyride. Oh, my God. It's all so obvious now. Yeah, (laughs) it all comes together. Pumpkin (laughs) is distraught. and falls to his knees, fires his gun into the sky and yells, no, (laughs) before the police come and arrest him and he goes to jail. Uh, and that's my day after.
0: <laughs> okay, uh, my day after. Butch and Fabian keep traveling. They stop off at various diners and get involved in some shenanigans with some serial killers. But they end up getting away. Uh, Jules begins to put his affairs in order. Uh, he's he's really committed to not being a bad person anymore. Marcellus is recovering and pondering the deal he made with uh, a man in a black suit who seemed who seemed to smell of sulfur. Uh, May begins to consider getting back into acting, so she starts making contacts again, connections with that, and practising a different things. And she's, she's off the drugs for good after the big scare she had with Vincent. Uh, Pumpkin and Honey Bunny lay low, and as Tim Roth's character is really thrown by his encounter with Jules, and he starts to decide he needs to make a change in his life, and uh, Jimmy goes and buys some coffee. And that's uh, my day after. There you go.
1: Very nice. All right. Well, hopefully that little experiment worked. Yeah. It, we took people around in a Tarantino-esque way. Hopefully it yeah. will, it'll it'll <laughs> be enjoyable yeah. for the listeners. Hope I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> All right. So there you have it. That's our endings for Pulp Fiction. Phil, what else about Pulp Fiction? You got some trivia for us on that?
0: I certainly have. I figured you would. It only cost eight million apparently to make. That's amazing. I know. And, uh, and uh, but fa- and especially when you find out that five million of that was for the uh, the salaries of the actors. Right. Right. So three million for the rest of it. Wow. And Bruce Willis only worked on the film for 18 days. Hmm. Uh, the F word is said 265 times. <laughs> I believe that. Yes, yeah. Uh, and the dance that we see in uh, Jackrabbit Slims, it was copied from the dance in Fellini's 1963 classic, uh, Eight and a Half. Oh, cool. Daniel Day-Lewis wanted the role of
1: Vincent Vega, but Tarantino turned him down. And stuck with John Travolta. Wow, that's yeah. that's got to, That takes some guts, I think, to turn <laughs> yeah. down Daniel Day Lewis for Travolta, whose career at that point was in one of its you know dipping phases. That's yes,
0: that's pretty impressive. I mean, I think I mean John Travolta was was brilliant in the role. I I imagine Daniel Day Lewis would have been, but I'm not sure whether it would have been a bit different. I don't different know that
1: that Daniel Day Lewis's performance would have fit the tone of the film, though. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I I you know I mean you can always imagine alternate castings, but yeah. I think like. It, when I think about Vincent Vega, I, I think you have to sort of have that. I mean, look at the John Travolta meme that's all over Facebook and the internet these days. Yeah, I don't yeah. think you, could, you would have had that with Daniel Day-Lewis in the role. No. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I think I think Travolta was perfect for Vincent. And one thing, you remember the bit when uh, Butch, he's running, getting away from the boxing match and he gets in the cab? Yes. And it's got the, uh, the sexy cab driver. Mm-hmm. Well, apparently the character's called Esmeralda I played by Angela Jones. Uh-huh. And that character, and I think it was the same actress, appeared in a 30-minute short called Curdled from 1991. The character cleaned up after murders and make, made her fascinated by murder. Tarantino saw the short and really liked the character and include, that's the same character in oh. Pulp Fiction. Wow, there you go. See? Which was a nice little thing. Yeah.
1: That's so we, we were getting met with other films, and Tarantino had already done it. Was doing the same thing, right, exactly. Yeah, we were just yeah. drawing inspiration from him. Yeah. <laughs> what I will say about Pulp Fiction, this is a film I've loved for a very long time, and I remember seeing it in theaters when it first opened and just being completely blown away by it and not even really being sure of what to make of it because it was so different from any other films that were out at the time. Yeah. And revisiting it, it's nice to see that it, it really still truly holds up as one of the all-time great films in my opinion
0: oh it really does it hasn't it hasn't aged and the the performances and the actors involved it's just it was it was like lightning in a bottle he got everything right
1: that's exactly it and and tarantino's made other great films but i don't think that any of them really just captures the magic of pulp fiction you know it's one of those like you said lightning in a bottle is a perfect way to describe it it really is in you know i i obviously can't predict what he's going to do for the rest of his movies but to me i think that will always be his his best film yeah yeah i i i agree i think it is the best one i think
0: it's my favorite one for sure because for sure. i've enjoyed all of his films right uh, i mean including death proof i really like death yep. proof yep even mm-hmm. though many people don't but uh no i, I enjoyed that but, but, but Pulp fiction is the uh i think the best one
1: yeah yeah definitely so uh do you have any theories as to what's in the briefcase you know i remember when the when the film came out that my friends and i were all very obsessed with trying to figure out what was in the briefcase because we thought maybe we just missed it then of course you find out in later years you know that there wasn't meant to be anything. Did you ever have yeah. any th- th- theories or opinions?
0: I always liked the the one it was. It's, and as I was touching on in my after the end, and it was all about it was uh, Marcellus's soul. Oh yeah, right, right, right. I I always quite like that one. Right, that's a good. And one. it just it it just seemed because I liked the way it was. You know, the light was shining, just made it a bit more fantastical, a bit different.
1: Yeah, yeah. I like to think that that briefcase probably ended up in a giant warehouse somewhere near the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I could see that.
0: Yeah. But uh, as, as Tarantino said, though, it's. Uh, uh, whatever's in the, the briefcase is whatever
1: you think's in there
0: so it works for everyone
1: right well it's definitely a throwback to the sort of you know the, the Maltese Falcon kind of you know the McGuffin, yeah that whole classic Hollywood thing where what's in the briefcase wasn't really important you know it was yeah. more of the vehicle to get things to happen in the film yeah but it just it's just
0: nice to think I mean there was talk it could have also been uh, the diamonds from the Reservoir Dogs Theft, that would have been another nice right, one. Right, that's a fun yeah. one, yep. yeah. But yeah. I like that, a, and it's it's so rewatchable. There's always so many things going on, and there's, if there's a little bit you're you not that thrust on, it soon gets to something else because there's
1: so many good scenes and right. events going on. Right, I will say the one thing that cracks me up watching it now, though, is the whole bit where Vincent Vega makes a big deal about $5 for a milkshake. That's milk yeah. and ice cream, right? And now, I, I not that long ago, I paid five fifty for a milkshake, had an ice cream stand. It's crazy. And it wasn't even that big. <laughs> I was like, oh, inflation, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's gonna kind of ten dollar shake now for the really good ones. Oh yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> the when they do the Pulp Fiction remake, it's gonna have that whole dialogue scene will have to be a twenty dollar milkshake. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, it won't make any sense.
0: Yeah. Oh, imagine if they did do a remake uh, of it. Good God, let's not. Let's move on. Yes, quick. yes. What What do the listeners? What's What do you think was in the briefcase? Um. What was your favorite moment in the film?
1: Right. Drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter. We'll tell you how to do that at the end of the show. We'd love to hear what you think about what could be in the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. All right, Phil, so it's time to move on to some of our new segments. Before we get into our top ten of 1986, I thought we uh, should introduce a few of the kind of newer segments that we're going to be doing. Uh, we're, we're Sort of thought something a little palate cleanser, if you will, to bridge the gap between our endings and our top ten every week. We're going to have some fun little segments in between. Yeah, like a, sor- a sorbet for your ears. Right, exactly, a little sorbet for your ears. I like that, I like that. Shall we preview some of them, or shall we leave people in suspense and just do tonight's new one? Let's just do one new one, you know. All right. I want to keep people guessing. All right, sounds good. So, tonight we're going to introduce a short segment we like to call Hidden Gems, which you might think is talking about, you know, terrific little films that are kind of under the radar that have escaped your attention that we want to bring to your attention. You would be wrong <laughs> because when we say hidden gems, we're spelling gems with a J, as in gem in the holograms, the truly, truly awful not outrageous movie that came out from Universal Studios uh, last year that is one of the most painful film-watching experiences I've ever had the misfortune to suffer through. Luckily, I haven't seen it, so... (laughs) Right, Phil has been spared. So we're going to introduce to you Hidden Gems, which are movies that may have escaped your radar because they're so bad. Mm -hmm. So this week we have none other than... Shark and Saw Women's Prison Massacre. That's right. You might remember we we mentioned this a couple of episodes ago. Well, I was lucky enough and I use uh, whatever podcast version of air quotes you have around the word lucky there. Uh, I've, I've been lucky enough to watch the film, and I'm here to report that it is not worth your time. Can I just do the, uh, the synopsis that's on IMDb? Oh, please do.
0: So people know, yeah, it says, uh, When a fracking environmental accident rips apart the Earth's crust, the resulting hole lets out prehistoric sharks from underground. the ground. The sharks target a group of women and trap them in a cabin. What? Is that real?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Good yeah. God, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Okay. So, so basically, what happens is there's a. I like also how it says it with a with a fracking accident. It sounds like your Battlestar Galactica speak. Like that's a fracking accident. Oh yeah. Uh, basically, there's this uh, underwater ocean, underground ocean. When this fracking happens, it lets out these mutated shark-like creatures. They're not really even sharks. They're like shark-like creatures. They have these giant spikes all over them, and so okay. they start traveling through the bayous of whatever. Generic southern state. This film takes place in where a work crew of women is doing work, um, you know, prison work, whatever. Outside, they've been driven out. Okay, I'm with the uh, One of the like a road crew kind of thing. Yeah, right. They've been driven out in a van to the middle of nowhere, so they can dig up stumps, and um, they start getting attacked by these sharks. So first, the sharks are kind of you know. Swishing around through two feet of water and taking out these these women prisoners, <laughs> uh, and then we find out they can actually burrow through the ground, <laughs> so they can't even get to their van because the sharks are swimming around through the dirt between them and their van. So, like sand sharks, they're like sand sharks. Yes, exactly. And it, you know, the thing that makes the film so bad isn't just the, the stupidity of the sharks and the fact that they can you know burrow through the ground and stuff, but it's like it's just the, like the little things. Yeah. Like so, they they. In you know, in the intro, they bring these women out to the woods and they say, "All right, the the warden wants you to clear out all these stumps, <laughs> you know, from here by the end of the day." And then they cut to this like five minute montage of these scantily clad women digging in like a, a patch of grass where there isn't a stump for miles, and it's just an excuse to show them like you know pouring water on themselves and stuff like that, which you know whatever, but like. <laughs> just put a stump in there like yeah. just because you just why did you write the dialogue that you want them to clear out stumps and then you're going to have them just digging in the grass for 5 minutes it doesn't Yeah, like that's the kind of thing that actually drives me more nuts than than you know ground burrowing sharks yeah cuz <laughs> yeah.
0: well, cuz i
1: i don't mind a good bad movie right but well, there's nothing worse when it's a bad, bad movie. Th- that's you what know this know what I mean? was. Yeah. It was yeah, a bad, yeah. bad movie. And, and what's, what's worse, okay, so Tracy Lords is in it. I don't expect great acting from her. But Dominique Swain is one of the lead actresses in it as well. Now, she had a career once. <laughs> uh, she was in Lolita opposite Jeremy Irons, which is not exactly a, you know, a small feat. That was when she was 15. And then she went in to star on, what else did, she, we, did we say she was in, Phil? Do you remember?
0: Yes, she was in Face Off. Right. Of all things. Yeah. She was in a film called Girl and a film called Tart.
1: <laughs> right, right. But those, I remember well, just, when Tart came out, it got some critical acclaim. I mean, it got some good reviews, you know. Yeah. She was like a legitimate actress for a while, and she's in this film, and, and boy, I don't know what happened, but watching her act is is really painful.
0: It's crazy, isn't it? You get some actors who, they not a huge start, but they have a, a good start. I mean, being in a film like Lolita with Jeremy
1: Irons, it's that's quite kind of a big big deal yeah that's exactly my point is like you know you had this kind of cachet built up from that what went wrong between that and, and this film i mean i i always wonder i mean i know she
0: was young i mean there's always the thing going becoming from a child actor to to a, an adult actor is always a hard transition right i mean but kate russell did okay
1: <laughs> right uh, but she was a teenager at that point too she wasn't like a kid kid you know yeah that's true
0: yeah teenager i always wonder whether it's down to the the actor or whether it's like an agent or the parents or what. I mean, yes yeah, I don't
1: know, but it's let's be
0: something. It's just, it's always a bit sad to be honest, but
1: I, I agree. I agree. At least but, it's still working. No, but, I, I mean, I'm glad yeah. she's working, but uh, she just certainly didn't bring anything to the film. So, oh. uh, you know, if you're, if you're up late on a Saturday night and you're flipping through Netflix and you see, you know, Shark women's prison massacre. Oh, that sounds like it's so funny. It's really not. Oh, just always a shame. save yourself the 90 minutes. That's our hidden gem of the week. That, that's a film you can safely avoid. You won't be missing anything.
0: But we could ask, uh, what is everybody's favorite weird shark movie? We're not talking Jaws. We're talking about all the ones like Shark the Puss and Sharknado, things like that.
1: Which is your favorite? Which one's worth a watch? Yeah, we'd love to hear. We'd love to hear. That would be a lot of fun. There's so many of them out there. So if you've seen any good ones or bad ones or good, bad ones or bad, good ones or bad, bad ones or good, good ones, let us know. That's a whole lot of good, bad. It it sure is. I'm a little fuzzy on the whole good, bad thing. I'm confused now. All right, so that was Hidden Gems. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, moving on to our other new feature that we're real excited about. This is 100 years of films in 100 episodes, and we are talking about 1986. And, Phil, if I'm not mistaken, you are prepared to take our viewers back to 1986.
0: Yeah. In a world. Because <laughs> it was all that kind of voiceover trailers. It definitely was. To set the scene, 1986, here's a few few details just to get us in the right mindset and remind us where we are. The British Prime Minister was Maggie Thatcher, and the President was Ronald Reagan, who also did a bit of acting in his time. Uh, the UK and France had uh, announced plans to build the Channel Tunnel. Uh, we sadly had the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster, and Halley's Comet visited us. That's right. Out of Africa won Best Picture at the Oscars. And also Pixar Animation Studios opened in California. You may have heard of them. They've done a few good films. Yeah, they've done all right for themselves. Yeah, uh, Castle in the Sky was the first film produced by Studio Ghibli, and that was released in 1986. Uh, Matt Groening created The Simpsons Family. Uh, Chernobyl blew up. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. uh, Nintendo released the first Zelda game, Legend of Zelda in Japan. Wow. The Oprah Winfrey Show premiered. Ah. So quite a few big things. Yeah,
1: right? a lot of milestones back in 1986. Yes.
0: Yeah. And uh, also, we had a few births of people, uh, including Gemma Arterton, Dane DeHaan, Teresa Palmer, Jamie Bell, Alexandra Daddario, who's doing who's great in True Detective, and she's going to be in Baywatch, Lady Gaga, Amber Heard, uh, Robert Pattinson, and Shia LaBeouf, oh, and Megan Fox. I didn't realize they were the same age when they did the uh, Transformer films.
1: Right, right. Well, I just feel old now. Thanks for that, Phil.
0: I know, me. so do I. <laughs> also, Usain Bolt was also born in 1986. I thought he was older. All right. Very cool. But we also lost some uh, some people. We lost James Cagney, Cary Grant, Elsa Lanchester, The Bride of Frankenstein, mm-hmm. Desi Arnaz, uh, Robert Stevenson, who was the director of Mary Poppins, and Phil Lynott and Frank Herbert. Oh, Ray Meland
1: as well. Mm-hmm.
0: So some big names there.
1: Yes. Lost. Yes, definitely. Yes. I feel like the getting Megan Fox and Shia LaBeouf doesn't make up for losing... James Cagney and and Cary Grant no it wasn't a fair trade it (laughs) It really wasn't yeah but what are you gonna do time moves on so they were they were great in in their day for sure (laughs) all right so let's tackle our top 10 then Phil what do you think yeah
0: it works for me so we're gonna do we're gonna count down from 10 to 6 both of us and see what we've
1: got all right so here's my 10 through 6 at number 10, we have Night of the Creeps. Are you familiar with that film? Oh, yes. Right. So for people who don't know, that is a kind of cult classic movie by, directed by Fred Decker, whose bigger claim to fame was the film The Monster Squad, which is a movie that I love very dearly. Yeah, I really enjoy that. Yeah. Night of the Creeps was another, I think it was his follow-up film, if I'm not mistaken, and it, it didn't do any business at the box office whatsoever. But it is kind of a cult classic, and it's a film that I, I really enjoy. So that's my number 10. At number nine, we have Transformers, the movie. That would be the animated movie, not the Michael Bay movie. You've got the touch. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> number eight, well, The Color of Money, directed by Martin Scorsese, starring Paul Newman and Tom Cruise. I was, never, I was never that fussed with The Color of Money. I know I should have liked it, but... Really? Yeah. Interesting. I, yeah. I only watched it for the first time recently, I have to say, and I really enjoyed it. So,
0: yeah.
1: well, there you go. That's why these lists are going to be interesting, Phil, because mm. we're going to have some differences of opinion, I bet. Yeah. At number seven, we have Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, one of my favorites uh, of the Star Trek movies. Yeah, I like that one. And at number six, we have Michael Mann's Manhunter. This would be the Hannibal Lecter film that was out before Silence of the Lambs, starring Brian Cox as Hannibal Lecter and William Peterson as the hero of the film, Will Graham. So that's my 10 through 6. How about you, Phil? Okay. So my number 10 is Highlander. Very
0: nice. Yeah. Christopher Lambert, Sean Connery playing an Egyptian <laughs> with a Scottish accent. No, was
1: he a Spaniard? Oh, yeah. Spaniard. Wasn't he something? What was he called? He was like, no, he was like Ramirez. That was his, his name was Ramirez, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Juan
0: Sanchez Villa Lopez Ramirez. There you go. Well, it, he wasn't Scottish, but he had a Scottish accent. Right. Yeah, and also introduced the world to Clancy Brown yep. as the Kergan. Yep. And I always, I'll always love uh, Clancy Brown. Absolutely. Brilliant. He's fantastic. One of the best uh, Lex Luthers as well in the mm-hmm. animated series. Mm-hmm. Uh, number nine, we've got Stand By Me. Very good. Which is uh, the wonderful coming-of-age story from Stephen King. Uh, then number eight, we've got The Mission, uh. starring Robert De Niro and Jeremy Irons, and with the, the beautiful soundtrack by Ennio Morricone. Mm-hmm. And seven, we've got David Lynch's Blue
1: Velvet. I knew that was going to pop up on your list somewhere.
0: Yeah, yeah, but it uh, all starts with a guy finding an ear and uh-huh. it goes to dark places. It's right. very good. Mm-hmm. And number six is the Fly remake starring Jeff Goldblum and Jeannie Davis.
1: Excellent. A very good film. I will tell you that Blue Velvet does not appear on my list. Yeah, I didn't think it would. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, you know me well then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not really a fan of that film to be honest with you. It's just a little too... I'm not really a giant David Lynch fan to be fair. Yeah. I-, I love Twin Peaks, and then... but as far as his movies go, I've just never really been able to get into them.
0: Oh, well, Some of them are hard going. I mean, and, and Blue Velvet's it was probably that's when it had like it's, it did have like a normal almost normal narrative for a David Lynch film, right?
1: Right for like half the film, but then it yeah, gets weird. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, *Inland Empire* that's a that's a real hard one to yeah, watch. Yeah, that's but. a slog for sure. *The Fly* though, I do like that remake.
1: I think that was one of the the great remakes. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Actually, yeah. I'll I'll reveal that just missed my my top ten list. Yeah, but it, it was yeah. definitely in consideration for sure. All right, well, a couple of films. I think, I, I think we're going know where we're going to end up in our top fives a little bit, but let's uh, we'll see where we diverge. For my number five, I have Highlander. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. much like you. I put it a little higher than you. I, I've been a fan of that film since I first saw it. I, I've stuck with the franchise through thick and thin, and let's be oh. honest, it's mostly been thin. Oh, there's some dreadful sequels. <laughs> I've, I've seen all the sequels. I've seen the TV show, even the animated oh. film, which was surprisingly good but uh, I do have a real special place in my heart for the original Highlander, and uh, so that's my number five. How about you?
0: Uh, Well, just, uh, I always remember the one with Michael Ironside in the sequel. That was the second one. Yeah, the terrible one. Yeah, the second one. Oh, the the one which is totally... You know, death charge the whole franchise
1: really well, and then made the ruin the whole thing by making them yeah. aliens. And then they did a yeah. director's cut, which
0: didn't help any. Yeah, but I, I always thought Michael Ironside there, the way he acted, there's one bit where he gets shot and then gets up. I thought he would have made a brilliant Wolverine. Oh,
1: right, right, sure. If they were doing the X Men movies back right, then, right, for sure, definitely that been
0: great yeah. Great choice. Uh, so, so, my number five is Platoon, Ah, uh, very nice, yeah, classic uh, Vietnam film. I just think it's a uh, it's just pretty moving yep yep
1: Charlie, Charlie Sheen back when he was a real actor you know Oliver Stone yeah. making one of his best films I would say and yeah, um yeah. yeah I will tell you Platoon Also just missed my cut, believe it or not. Well, it's 1986, there's so many films. There was a lot. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of great films.
0: We'll just have to stress as well, that we're not saying that these were the best movies of the year. These are our personal favorites. Exactly, exactly. Just before people start going, but what about this? What about that? Right,
1: yep. No, these are definitely our favorite films, which sometimes means they're the best films, but sometimes might not. Uh, And like Phil, we said earlier in the episode, we don't know each other's lists ahead of time, so this is all, you know, a surprise for us. Mm -hmm. All right, so my number four was... Also on your list, "Stand by Me." Yes, I'm. I'm. I'm actually a little surprised it wasn't a little higher on your list, Phil. I got to say. I, I know it's. Uh,
0: I mean, I, I probably if I did the list again in like a, a couple of months, it'd probably be changing a little bit. But yeah,
1: yeah, 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 I can see that. It was definitely tough to kind of get the order right. But I, I do. I, "Stand by Me" is definitely going to rank as one of my all-time favorite films. And actually, I thought it was going to be higher on on my list this this time around. But it was my top three was. Such a Sophie's Choice that I, I you know, stand by me, just, just missed the top three. But it's definitely one of my favorites. So how about you? My, my number
0: four is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Very good. Which is, uh, well, everybody knows it. Real good, fun movie. Yep. And I'm glad they've never made a sequel. <laughs> likewise, likewise. <laughs> yeah, Another future episode,
1: we'll definitely be doing one of these days, for sure. Yeah, I've got some ideas for
0: it. So. Oh, good, good. I can't so wait. That'll be interesting. What about your number three?
1: All right, well, this is where it got tricky. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, in all honesty, I changed the order of my top three about a dozen times <laughs> before I settled on this. So you could ask me in five minutes, and I might still tell you a different order than this for my top three. But my number three is Big Trouble in Little China. <sighs> John Carpenter, Kurt Russell. Yeah. Uh it's it's a great mashup of genres sci-fi, comedy, horror, uh, you name it it's in yeah. there and it, it I I was actually surprised it wasn't it didn't make my number 1 because that's how good 1986 was as a year. Big Trouble in Little yeah. China is I know I say this a lot that I have a lot of favorite films but like that's one of my like desert island movies. You know if I could only take a handful of movies to Des- desert island that would be one of them. So
0: What I really like though was the fact that Kurt Russell thinks he's the hero <laughs> and he's He's just not. Right, right. I just love the way that's done. Yep. It just works so well. He's not even the sidekick,
1: really. No. Is. He's just. <laughs> it's true. It's, it's really John Carpenter and Kurt Russell at their best, and it, it is as close to a perfect movie as it gets as far as I'm concerned. So that's my number three. How about you? Uh, my number three is The Hitcher.
0: Interesting choice. Yeah. yeah. Rucker Howard and C. Thomas Howell and Jennifer Jason Leigh. Uh, I don't know what it is. It's just I always remember seeing the trailer mm-hmm. when I was a kid going to video shop. Always, always intrigued me. It was always the cheesy voice you know, don't pick him up and all that (laughs) stuff. Right, right. But when I I finally did get to see it, I think I just loved the way it was shot and the way the feel was. You had these big wide shots of the desert and there's the whole thing about what is the hitcher? Is he actually just a man or is he this mythic force of nature? Is he, what is he? I just, it just stuck with me. Sure, sure. And I, I was surprised it was, it's so high on my list, but when I was going through everything, I was going, well, no. Yeah, they kept moving up and.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah, I have to. I ask myself a lot, like when I put them in order. It's like, well, which one of these would I rather watch? If I had to put one of them yeah. in tonight, you know, which one yeah. would I put in first? You know, and that sort of kind of helped me inform what landed where. But that's interesting. That's a good choice. Okay, and what about
0: as Austin Powers would say? What about your number two?
1: <laughs> so my number two. And this is a tough one to put at number two, I'm not going to lie, was Aliens. James Cameron's Aliens was number two. I
0: will say Snap. (laughs) My number two as well. Oh, oh, was
1: it? All right. Well, I'm curious then to see what your number one is because I know it's not the same as mine. But all right. So we both picked Aliens for number two. Uh, Aliens Mm. is one of the greatest science fiction films of all time. It's, you know, James Cameron made himself you know, into a superstar director with this film. And it's, it's I remember when it came out, I didn't know what Alien was because I was pretty young. And I remember being in a bookstore and seeing the adaptation of Aliens, which I've read probably about 25 times over the years. Yeah. <laughs> and a friend of mine said, oh, I want to see that because I love the first movie. And I said, Aliens. I said, well, what was the first movie? And he goes, Alien. And I was, I was <laughs> so struck by that. And I sort of became i fascinated by by this movie, so I, I remember. Here's I'm dating myself, but I remember checking out Alien from the library on VHS <laughs> and watching it, and of course loving it. And I didn't see Aliens in theaters because I was a little young for that. But yeah, I, same here, yeah. When it came out on video, I just watched it over and over and over. And I've I've owned it in every format. I owned it on a widescreen VHS, which is not easy to get back in the day. Oh, god, no. Uh, you know, I had the DVD. I've had the DVD box set, I've got the Blu-ray box set, you know, and my entire love of the entire alien universe stems from that movie. And I know there are people who like the first one better, and that's fine because the first one is a great film. It's a very different movie. Yeah. But for my money, it does not get better than Aliens in that franchise. Well, I, I like the fact that Alien and Aliens, I mean it's the same, same universe and everything, but they are different
0: films. And I love the fact James Cameron did that. He went off and made it bigger. Well, and a different kind of feel. It also, it's, it's got my... I love films where there's people going to a place and something's happened and they don't know what and they're investigating it and as we are as well, we're like carried along with them. Right. So we didn't know what had happened on Hadley's Hope. Right, right. Exactly. And it's just, I just love the way that happens
1: and they do things and I, that does it really well. Yes, yes it does. So there you go. So Aliens, both are number two picks. Uh, this will be very interesting then. Yes. So for my number one film, it's a movie that has already appeared on your list. Okay. It is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, okay. As we know, I'm a big John Hughes fan. Yeah. This was a movie that I – this is a movie that I still quote 20 different lines from on a regular basis. Barely a week goes by that I don't at some point quote Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's a very quotable it movie. It is. I wanted yeah. to be Ferris Bueller when I was a kid. And yeah. Yeah. the reason I picked I picked it over Aliens was because, you know, I had to look at it and say, if if I could only watch one of these movies over and over and over again... You know which one would it be? And I've seen Ferris Bueller's a million times, and I can watch it a million more, and I never get tired of it. There's so many classic scenes in it, so much great dialogue, and so many great characters. You know, there's you know Abe Froman, the Sausage King of Chicago. And, <laughs> you know, it, there's just so many things yes. about that movie that I I love. The whole twist and shout. Right. You know, sc- sc- like I wanted to be Ferris Bueller so bad that I memorized like twist and shout. <laughs> I'd wrap a hotel around your head, right? Like you know, just so I could sing
0: it. I never had one lesson. So many, so many great, great lines. Yeah,
1: so that's that's my number one. It, it really is just a, a magical film. And as much as I love Aliens, honestly, I was going to make them a tie because I had such a hard time deciding. But I don't want to do ties because I feel like that's that's copping out. So there yeah. you go. So Ferris Bueller edges out Aliens by the the barest fraction of an inch. So all right, Phil, I'm dying to. Oh, sorry, go ahead.
0: It, well, same with me as well. My number one just just pips uh, Aliens to the post. It's uh, uh, you've already mentioned it. It's John Carpenter's Big Trouble and Little China. Oh,
1: there you go. I should have known. I should have known
0: because it's just Kurt Russell's. uh' Kurt Russell is just brilliant in it. And when the first time I watched it, I didn't know which way it was going to go, and it just it just goes in a totally different direction anyway. Yep. And it's just it's just wonderful. It's just his character's just so stupid, but so oh, I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> he's just he's such just such
1: a great character. He is. He really is. Jack Burton's yeah. fantastic. Yeah.
0: I, I, it's just it's so well done and there's like great effects for the time and mm-hmm. you just you're just taken into this whole other world with him yeah And i just just love the way it's it's done it's a great journey and at the end of the he's still pretty much jack burton still he's still in the same kind of uh, position he was before <laughs> right
1: he's every bit as clueless as he was he hasn't he hasn't really learned yep. everything yeah yeah but he's you know he's had a good time doing it yeah yeah i think in my first draft of my list i think i had big trouble at number one actually and then it moved to aliens and then i ended up on ferris bueller so like i said yeah. ask me tomorrow those three it could have changed. all changed places, but but for but for me, Big Trouble in Little China really shook the pillars of heaven. There you go, there you go. Uh, so that's our top ten. Phil, did you have any other films that missed the cut that you wanted to mention? There's so many films that just missed the missed the cut. To be honest, mm-hmm. There's, uh, there was Top Gun. Yep. Back to School. Yep.
0: The Golden Child. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, some of these—they're not that great. The film, but just have fun, fun memories of watching them. Flight of the Navigator, yep. uh, the Wraith, Charlie Sheen one.
1: Oh right, right, right. Uh, Critters,
0: uh-huh. FX, Murder by Illusion. I always have a soft spot for that one.
1: Yeah, I, that's Brian Brown. That was really close to making my top ten, actually. Yeah, I left that out, but it was definitely right up there.
0: That was one of those ones I watched over and over again on video yep. when the first time I saw it. Yep. Labyrinth always made my list, but not
1: quite. Labyrinth would actually yeah. not make my list. It didn't even make my just-missed-the-cut list. It didn't even make my first draft list. I I know people love that movie. I've never been a fan of it. I I, I can see why. I came to it too late, I think, and I just never – got into it uh,
0: what about you any others that m- missed the
1: list well so, uh, several that you mentioned uh, the, the ones that just yeah. missed it for me uh, Top Gun of course was one of them Karate Kid Part 2 FX all films I loved I also included Space Camp oh yeah, Space which Camp which is a movie yeah, I had yeah. a real yeah. soft spot for uh, I watched it a lot when I was a kid and I watched it a few years back and it actually holds up you know fairly decently yeah I think I was on TV a few weeks ago right, here. right. Uh, yeah. also Three Amigos with uh, Chevy Chase and Steve Martin and, and uh, oh, yeah, yeah. you know Martin Short there you
0: go I yeah, I always liked that one that was, that was makes me off that
1: film. Yeah, that's a funny one. And two sort of uh, under the radar picks: Gung Ho, starring Michael Keaton. Oh, where he plays uh, an American at a factory, a car factory that gets taken over by the Japanese. Yeah. And I
0: remember that one. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's I watched it not that long ago. It's actually a really good film. It's Ron Howard, I believe, and I, I really liked it. And also Friday the Thirteenth Part Six, uh, because that's one of the better Friday the Thirteenth franchise installments, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. A lot of great movies that year. Phil, why don't you tell us about the box office for that for that year? See how we stack up compared to the to the box office
0: well we did have a few of the films in the top 10 but uh, c- according to box office mojo the mm-hmm. uh, the top 10 of the year of 1986 was uh, number 10 was ferris bueller's day off mm-hmm. number nine ruthless people another good one that was the that was the bet midler one wasn't it yeah bet midler danny but, devito yeah. yeah uh number eight was the golden child right which i always watch whenever it's on tv yes, i always find myself watching it yep. uh number seven was
1: aliens that's fascinating that that was actually that low down on the list you know
0: yeah but but it's uh, for like a horror film Big action horror film, I suppose, getting up there.
1: For, for an R-rated movie, especially, that is pretty good.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's getting up there. Number six uh, was Back to School, which is the Rodney Dangerfield mm-hmm. one, which is another one whenever it's on TV. Right. You just end up sitting and watching it. And uh, then number five, Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Yep. Number four was Karate Kid Part Two. Number three was Platoon.
1: Number two is Crocodile Dundee. And number one was Top Gun. There you go. Well, right. Yeah. So not too bad. No, not bad at all. A good a good top 10 from both of us, I think, and also a good top 10 at the box office.
0: Yeah, and uh, 1986, I mean, it was just a great year for films. Yes. So many good ones. Right. And so many ones which weren't that good, but you just loved watching
1: yeah. <laughs> no that's exactly that is definitely from a you know the 80s I think will probably lean heavy when we do you know years from the 80s there will probably be I'm sure a, a strong nostalgia factor you know yeah um, and other years will differ though you know so it'll be interesting to see how, how things shape up on our list depending on what year we're doing yeah and of course uh,
0: if people out there want to let us know what they thought of our list and also what, what their top 10 films from 1986 are just uh, just let us know in the various places you can leave them and we'll be mentioning them a
1: little bit later yeah we'd love to hear your lists as well, or what, at least what you thought of our lists, and what you thought of this new feature. Hopefully you'll like it, because we're hoping to do it for another 99 episodes, but let us know your thoughts. We definitely want to hear from you. Alright, so Phil, I think that's going to wrap us up for this episode. Why don't you tell everybody what films we'll be talking about next week? Okay, so next week we'll be talking about
0: Neil Blomkamp's District 9, starring Shelter Copley, and also we will then be covering a comedy, Bridesmaids, starring Kristen Wiig, Melissa McCarthy, Rose Byrne, and a few other familiar faces.
1: That is quite the interesting matchup we have picked, Phil. District 9 and Bridesmaids. Yeah. I think
0: it's the perfect viewing combination. It, it, is, two it is
1: definitely. A, a, yeah. a For people who are watching along at home, that is a double feature that you don't usually see. So hopefully <laughs> no, you'll enjoy that. You're not going to see that double feature in the cinema. No, definitely not. <laughs> and so since District 9 came out in 2009, we decided to do our top 10 of 2009. So you guys can go ahead and start formulating your lists and see how they compare to our lists. And... We'll see if District Nine makes it onto either of our lists. It'll be a neat little tie-in for next week's episode. Mm, we'll have to see what else is it without that. Yeah, that's right. It should be interesting. We'll have to mm. we'll have to turn back the wayback machine and see what films came out just a scant seven years ago. Seven years! Oh my god! <laughs> oh, can you believe it? Uh, I know. Yeah, should be fun. Should be fun. So hopefully you all will uh, join us again in a week's time for that episode. You'll get District 9, Bridesmaids, and the top 10 films of 2009, as well as a fun little surprise feature we're going to throw in for you that we'll reveal next week. Yeah. Okay, so Phil, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online? You can find me on com
0: for all your movie news, reviews, trailers, posters, cool art, comics, bits and pieces, whatever takes my fancy. And it's also, you can always find me on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, Plus. Instagram, Pinterest, and whatever other social media thing is corny hot.
1: Local bulletin boards at supermarkets. Yeah, I'll be hanging around,
0: like ringing a bell. Right.
1: Shouting out what's on. Very good so where, where can they find you Mike well Phil I'm glad you asked I'm actually in the middle of launching an exciting new project and a new website and I'm going to reveal that next episode uh, because I want to make sure it's 100% finished before I tell people where to go but some exciting stuff over there hopefully people will like what I have to offer sounds good and you can find us online at facebook.com slash after the ending podcast that's where you can leave all your feedback your comments for us questions anything like that and now you can find us on Twitter Phil what's our new Twitter handle our Twitter handle is you can find us after underscore the ending there you go after underscore the ending with your little at symbol in front of it of course but that's us on Twitter and we are also going to have an email address worked up for you guys really soon as well so lots of ways to get in touch with us we love to hear from you guys next week we'll be sharing some reader feedback on some questions we've been asking so that'll be a lot of fun as well so check out our pages uh, get some answers in get some feedback in and maybe you'll hear your name in this very space next week you know it makes sense yes you sound like a like a propaganda war poster there you know like you know it makes sense to recycle yeah just do it <laughs> all right well that's going to wrap us up for tonight once again we thank you for listening i'm mike spring and i'm phil edwards and we'll see you next week after the ending i am very well thank you i'm very excited about tonight's episode that's a lot of varies at one point in time all right one more time How <laughs> uh, how you doing today phil i am i can think of as very now <laughs> <laughs> definitely I sound like the girls on Saturday Night Live. Do you know the ones I'm talking about with the radio show? They're like the sweaty Balls. Do you know that one? Oh, yeah, I know them. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And while they're away from the frontier, the Kodan Armada. Armada? What is that? Armada. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> to prevent the assassin from revealing to the Kodan Armada. Or, why do I keep saying Armada? What is that? Armada. What's Armada what's, with what, me? What's the
0: matter with you? <laughs> Well, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, no, forget it, go on. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Lewis, he's there? Yeah, I'm here.
1: Yeah, so I just want to be funny. Uh, and, I'm uh, sorry, also, I didn't hear, I it? I was trying to care. <laughs> My drink bottle, I was drinking out of a plastic bottle, it got all crunched up and I was trying to uncrunch it quietly <laughs> oh, instead of it going, bom, okay. bom, 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 you know, so I wasn't really listening. It just went really, really quiet. <laughs> okay. And <it> about, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're going to start our endings for the pulp. <laughs> All right. So let's take it back in time then, Phil. Tell us about your day after. Okay. Do you need my long term now? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> and this week we have none other than... Phil, you want to introduce it? Oh, oh yeah, sorry. yeah. Go on. Just do that again. <laughs> try to second. include it's... you here, buddy. Yeah. go on. <laughs> Moving on now to the to the meat of the show, the other meat after our endings, I should say. That sounds weird. Let me let me do that again.
0: <laughs> yeah. So that's that. And are we? Where are we? Number two. Yeah, number two. why do keep losing this? I've got the list in front of to me as well. <laughs> Which one was that? Part six. Is that? It's not the New York one, is it? That was no, one? that's part eight. I well, knew part i oh, I'm totally confused. Um, <laughs> I
1: want to say it's the one with the psychic girl. Maybe I don't ask me that. Yeah. No, okay. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> i don't know that film it's french one. Oh. that's all
0: i can remember about it i'll oh, okay. leave, betty, leave betty blue out cut okay, betty blue i'll, I'll do that <laughs> yeah.